Hi there, it's Gail, and I wanted to notify you about something before the beginning of this episode. To avoid snap judgments, I believe it is imperative for you to know from the get-go that this episode does not debate politics, the nature of the United States political parties, voters, or the current presidential administration. This episode does, however, reflect on civility and morality in the context of that administration's present day and recent activities. I simply ask that you keep that in mind while listening to this episode or reading its print equivalent. Thank you, and enjoy the episode. From the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts, you're listening to Byline the podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm K.O. Wilk, and this week Byline takes a look at how Northwest Indiana's teachers are trying to instruct in the midst of President Trump's rhetoric. We'll examine how President Trump fits into American history. You can go all the way back to Andrew Jackson and, and catch this... this um this first fire of populism. And we'll question how his rhetoric affects students' discourse. I mean, I'm seeing a, a huge increase. Even in my U.S. history class, I'll have kids that will come in and ask me about a news story that has to do with, you know, president did this, or I read a news story about that. <laughs> do you want me to go first? Yep, you can go first. <laughs> Okay, so This is audio from a conversation I had with some Lake Central High School students not too long ago. These two are Samantha Sufchuk and Blessing and Yate, a senior and sophomore, respectively. That ethic, that ethic code that is kind of unspoken for being a politician is being broken with President Trump. Um, I believe a lot of what he says is very, very brash, and I believe that he, yes, gets a lot of people's attention, but I don't believe it's in a good way. They're two of several people I've talked with to try and answer something I've been wondering about for a while. Does President Trump's rhetoric negatively impact people? But I was curious about a particular group. Here's a reason why. New at 10, racially motivated chants go viral, viewed thousands of times. The focus, two Northwest Indiana basketball teams. Tonight, the schools say they're investigating the incident caught on tape. Here's CBS 2's Suzanne LeMignot. Chants of Si Se Puede, Spanish for Yes We Can, erupt from the superfan section of Bishop Knoll Institute, a predominantly Latino school in Hammond, Indiana. They respond to what spectator Ashley Howard calls a very racist exchange started by rival team Andrean High School. Chants like Build a Wall and uh, Please Speak English, No Comprende. Howard was disturbed. This package is from CBS2 Chicago. Photos including some from former Times photographer Jonathan Miano, surfaced of members from Andrain's student section holding a Donald Trump face cutout and a banner that read ESPN Deportes, Spanish for sports. Reportedly, some of the students also started chanting, Build the Wall, all of which was supposedly meant to taunt the visiting team from Hammond. The Diocese of Gary issued a statement acknowledging this had happened. Andrain High School's administration also came out and said there would be repercussions for these actions and efforts to help and guide students. I tried reaching out to the Director of Communications for Andrain's Athletic Department and the Athletic Director for Bishop Knoll, but did not receive a reply for comment from either person. 
This all occurred in the midst of Donald Trump's campaign. The anniversary of his election victory occurred in November. Now it's time for America to bind the wounds of division. We have to get together. To all Republicans and Democrats and independents across this nation, I say it is time for us to come together as one united people. It's time. I pledge to every citizen of our land that I will be president for all Americans. And this is so important to me. I've chosen this section of his victory speech for a reason. The message is that all need to come together. But based on how he's behaved, it doesn't feel like that holds up. The sound bites and occurrences are well documented, but Donald Trump has provided a plethora of insults he's hurled at others. He's mocked a reporter with a disability, tossed insults at his primary opponents such as belittling Jeb Bush or insulting Ted Cruz and his wife. And if you look to his Twitter feed, the name-calling is a constant. Crooked Hillary, Rocket Man, Pocahontas, just to name a few. People see this, including children. And perhaps it seeped through enough to affect something like a high school basketball game. Now, were all those kids spiteful toward Latino children based on their actions? I hope not. They're high school kids. I imagine many of us can look back to that time in our lives and think of something stupid we said or did. I'd like to believe these were students that really didn't think about their actions before choosing to do them. But it is serious. I personally wasn't at that game, but at other ones I've covered, I've seen some students that will come decked in Trump shirts or have Trump banners or flags. It leads me to wonder how someone that young, who is still in a formative time of their life, and who still has a whole life ahead of them, is acting or treating others different than they are. That's what I hope to try and answer in some way. How are our high school students, and their teachers, handling President Trump's behavior? I can't guarantee anything definitive, because it's not something easy to answer in the confines of this podcast. Instead, think of it as a discussion where I can gain some clarity through the lens of the region. So first, I'd like to turn to someone within my work environment who's always sharing neat stuff from the past on the Times website and print editions. None other than our Porter Laporte editor and history editor, Doug Ross. Like Doug, I'm also a person that enjoys history. But any history fan knows the caution we must use when proceeding through this discussion. The best and most accurate historical analyses come many years later, like decades later. Our perception of recent historical events is prone to be affected by our own feelings and contexts. We can keep it in mind and try our best, but it can somewhat taint the vision, if that makes sense. That's the thing. You know, if, if you go through, and I, I just put together a gallery of front pages for November, for example, and, uh, and so my tactic is to look at the front page. This is 1917, right? A hundred years ago. And look at, you know, what were the big issues then? But also, you know, let me highlight a headline that will, you know, draw interest into the page. Um, but, you know, you, you look at some of these things and it was like, 
um, you know, very much focused on, oh, the price of bread will be, you know, at least seven cents now, and isn't that horrible? Uh, versus, you know, from our standpoint now, it's like, man. You know? <laughs> so I asked Doug what his thoughts were on President Trump's leadership style or the way he behaves. The way he's governing is governing in a style that is not for all of America, but that that also makes a difference in how he's perceived. It's kind of interesting to see the the effect of Trump's governing style on his popularity. Um, when when you're that unpopular this early in your term, these are the lowest numbers of any modern presidency, and so um, frankly, you know, it it, it really uh, calls for changing his style. Uh, but with his personality, I don't know that he will. I also wanted to ask, based on his interactions with people in the community, what they felt. Well, I mean, you know, go back to the primaries. There was the um, Republican presidential debate where it devolved into talking about the size of body parts. You know, here, here, here I am at a Ted Cruz rally in Laporte talking to the candidates, its supporters, you know, uh, you know, what do you think about this and that, and, and you know, how involved are your children in this election? And uh, the one mother told me that, and she had her young son right there, said that, you know, he was very interested, but she couldn't let him watch the debates anymore after that incident. I mean, she had to shut off the TV to protect her child. You know, how horrible is it that, um, that, that we have candidates at the highest level who aren't acting like adults and uh, aren't behaving you know, in the way that you would expect um, parents to behave. That worry that some parents feel is also appearing in schools. As an example, there's a survey the Southern Poverty Law Center's Teaching Tolerance Project put out last year called The Trump Effect, the impact of the presidential campaign on our nation's schools. 2,000 teachers across the country that instruct K-12 students were surveyed on if President Trump's rhetoric affected students' behavior or discourse. In the report's summary, it notes that two-thirds of the teachers surveyed believe their students, mainly ones that were immigrants or minorities, expressed concerns about what would happen to their families after the election. Over half of the teachers believe they saw uncivil discourse enter students' environments. More than a third say they saw an increase in anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant sentiment. And around 40% also said they were hesitant to teach about the election. Within the report's pages, you can see the questions and responses for yourself, many noting examples from students such as instances of bullying. The report's introduction also even includes the Times' photo from the Andre and Bishop Knoll basketball game. My focus here is on high school students. But more so, for efficiency and time purposes, I fanned out phone calls and emails to social studies teachers, particularly those that instruct U.S. history or government. While President Trump's speeches or actions also touch on science or economics, I wanted to speak with the history or government teachers because those subject areas, by nature, study the country's past and then link those lessons with contemporary examples, like President Trump. I sent contact to social studies teachers at 33 different region high schools. However, only those from nine returned contact, three of which let me know they were declining to comment. I'm letting you know this not only so you know that I give my due diligence as a reporter to gather perspectives, but also to highlight how many didn't reply. I think one reason could simply be that teachers are busy. 
they have big workloads and students to manage. But I think another reason many didn't is because it isn't lost on me that I'm posing a question on a controversial topic. One of the first instructors I reached out to was a familiar face. My own AP U.S. history teacher during my time at Munster High School. Hello. This is Steve Lopez. Yeah, good to, good to hear from you too, Kale. I'm, I'm sorry we played a little phone tag there. In finding out information on this topic, I first wanted to know, is Trump really an original? Have there been other presidents that are like him? He made it very evident, very clear, that his, his role model, as far as presidencies goes, is Andrew Jackson. You can go all the way back to Andrew Jackson and, and catch this, this, um, this first fire of populism. Jackson did this. He, he was effective in making himself as the president, as the spokesperson of the people. And that was really what Jackson's objective was. And the only, then the other president that we do touch on, of course, is Teddy Roosevelt and his use, his use of the White House as the bully pulpit. Mr. Lopez also noted that President Trump has established a communication connection with modern day tools, unlike others before him. Although, obviously, past presidents, except for President Obama and perhaps President George W. Bush, didn't have access to social media. Simply just by tweeting, by having a constant means of communicating his ideas, his opinions, and his positions, um, he has done more than any president probably since Ronald Reagan, who of course, they considered to be the great communicator. Ronald Reagan used the media to express not only his concerns, but also his agenda. However, Mr. Lopez did know that President Trump's communication skills and content don't quite hit the mark. It's just unfortunate. And this is the other thing that we talked about, that that, um, it's unfortunate that the means in which he does this without having that filter has definitely made him less presidential, if you understand what I'm saying. But but at the same time, has made him so much more popular with those people who supported him to begin with. Through social media, President Trump not only puts out his tweets, but news media and regular users share video clips of his sound bites. They can be viewed multiple times by people, including teenagers. The Pew Research Center, for example, put out a social media and technology review in 2015 that noted 92% of teenagers go online daily, 24% of those saying they go online, quote, almost constantly, unquote. Throughout our childhood, we grow up with role models, and some of those could be elected representatives. So when the President of the United States, one of the highest elective offices in the land, puts out crude content? What is that saying to these teenagers? What are they deciphering is right or wrong to do? What is and isn't civil or moral? That's where I'll transition to another teacher, Jeff Swisher. Uh, My name is Jeff Swisher. I am the government and U.S. history teacher at Gavitt Middle High School. I started out by asking Mr. Swisher how often Trump's rhetoric comes into his classroom discussions. Um, Mostly in the government class, very little in history. We, we talk about a, a lot of what he does, um, both rhetoric and actuality and response and news stories. So we look at a lot of different aspects of his presidency right now. Yeah, in fact, uh, just today, 
um, the students had to find new stories about checks and balances and present them today. And everybody had to find a different one. And the immigration executive order um, is one, being that Gavit is a diverse school, is, is very, hits home to a lot of them. Um, so that one in particular has been um, discussed greatly. Mr. Swisher also commented on where President Trump's social media presence comes up in lessons too. What would, if Andrew Jackson had Twitter, what would his tweets look like? Um, looking at some primary sources about Andrew Jackson and some of the things he said to newspapers and, and looking at if they had this free flow of information and they didn't have to go to communicate stuff out through the news, what might look different? They don't always get the linkage, but they start seeing it when they start hearing about the things that they might do on social media and what impact it may have um, without much of a filter. And so I, I think most of them will comment that Trump shouldn't tweet or Trump shouldn't post or Trump shouldn't do this. It's just not what a president does. Um, And so that's a typical comment you hear when we start talking and going in depth, looking at it. And based on this, I asked Mr. Swisher if the students, as a result, had made comments on what they feel an ideal leader should act like. But it seems like it was a learning moment for the students in that instance. Kind of the best way, I, th- I think, to kind of describe it is what they think an ideal leader may look like. Um, they all had to write a letter to the president of what they would like to see him do um, about a certain topic. And they were able to pick whatever topic they wanted. And it was rather interesting. I had to temper a lot of their messages um, because they looked at sort of Trump's rhetoric and Trump's communication, and they wanted to be just as brash and abusive back. Um, and we had to go, okay, you, you, you need to look at this differently. Um, your, your letter will end up in the garbage can if you write a letter like that, even if you disagree with someone. And so there's a certain way and a certain decorum to be able to communicate this. And so um, if I look at it that way, I, I, I think they actually responded and looked at him is, well, he's brash, I'm gonna be brash back. Um, he's abusive, I'm gonna be abusive back. And so I saw a much larger number of letters that were that way originally, and we had to temper them and look at them a little differently um, than I have seen in the past. So, um, even amongst people that disagree. But Mr. Swisher did make a comment that was compelling. He believes the interest in his courses has dramatically increased because of what's happening now. Prior to that, they just, eh, president, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but they, they honestly have heard what's going on. They may have read a news story. Many of them watched the State of the Union address, um, which, which surprised me. Um, I had close to 25% of the students actually truly watch on their own the State of the Union address. I mean, I'm seeing a, a huge increase. Even in my US history class, I'll have kids that will come in and ask me about a news story that has to do with, you know, president did this, or I read a news story about that. I have not seen this much discussion in my classes about racism. And is it systematic? Is it systemic? Is it ignorance? Is it, um, and, and talking through it that I had not seen happen before. Um, and I think that this being a diverse campus really makes a huge impact on that. That's interesting to hear. It's probably easy to get lost in the fray of pointing out how impolite or uncivil Trump's rhetoric may be. But then on this positive side, it has people thinking, including kids. Speaking of those kids, we'll listen to them next, after a brief break. Hey listeners, it's Matt Schubert. 
producer of That's So Region, the podcast about all things region. It's uh, Joseph Pete, also a panelist on That's So Region, and the best freestyle rapper on the Time staff. We talk about all sorts of region topics, what to do, where to go, can there actually be a gourmet taco? How many pierogi you can stuff in your gullet and why it's pierogi and not pierogies. Make sure to download us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, and visit nwi.com Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Who knows? Sometimes it's every week, sometimes it's every other week. But make sure you listen to the end. for our, It's jam-packed with our region recommendations of what you can do for fun and entertainment in Northwest Indiana and Greater Chicagoland. We're back. As noted before, the students are the voices we'll hear from next. Here's two that I'd like to start out with. Oh, okay. Uh, first. <laughs> my name is Marcela Amor Mejia. I'm a full-time student at Gavit and a part-time worker at Kuman. My name is John Charles Zamora. I am a 12th grade student at Gavit High School, and right now I'm looking at interviews for new jobs. I wanted to ask them what they felt an ideal leader acted like. And did they feel President Trump was embodying that? Oh, no. <laughs> Be very blunt. Uh, no, he does not. Um, I think that he is kind of narrow-minded right now. But I think that as he grows in his presidency, he's going to figure out that he needs to be more open-minded, that he needs to incorporate other types of people into the discussion. Because one business isn't just going to have a monopoly. We don't have that anymore. So what he needs to do is he needs to have the other people at the table discussing what's the matters, how are we going to deal with them, how are we going to solve them. So when he gets to that point, I think he's going to be like the other leaders we've had. All the publicity that he's getting, it doesn't reflect just him, it reflects the United States. Um, I always like to think that the government is separate from the U.S. However, other countries, when they think of the United States, they think of the president. And I feel that his actions are reflecting poorly. So to be a good leader, you must be friendly. You have to be courteous, respectful to everyone, including women. And you just have to be uh, very democratic, really, because that's the whole um, foundation of America is democracy. And if you're just slandering people willy-nilly, it just... It, just puts a bad face on America, and we're not, not everyone is like that. They also commented that President Trump didn't embody what America truly is about. I feel like he is a representation of the bad parts of America. Um, he's a re um, representation of the racial and the racial ideals and the prejudices that Americans do still have, but that is not all of America, you know. While while people may think that the president is um, represents America as a whole, he really doesn't. In my opinion, he, he ran just to show us that there's still people out there like that. So even though many of us don't want to accept it, like I said, the previous presidents, they've always had like a main cause. We've always agreed with it as a country. I feel like he's the person, he's the people that we don't really acknowledge, that we think just faded away, but they're still there. So... In my opinion, I, I think it's, I think we need this right now, because apparently we didn't, we still have some skeletons in the closet, and as a country, how can we be making um, trade negotiations and trying to be allies with other countries 
if we still have skeletons in our closet and people are gonna pinpoint that. So if we just fix it now and we target those, then when we go to deal with other nations, we can come to the table with a clean conscience and be like, yes, we have those troubles. Or we can better um, be sympathetic with other countries and be like, you know, I know what you're going through. We went through this, my country went through this, but guess what? We overcame it or we dealt with it this way. This is how we're, you know, we're seen eye to eye now. So I think it's, it's what we need right now to make our future much better. My search for comments also took me to Lake Central High School, where I chatted with Samantha Sufchek and Blessing Anyate, whom you heard earlier, but also two juniors named Jacob Bailey and Josh DeYoung. Samantha brought up in our discussion that she believed President Trump's rhetoric wasn't a cause for how people were acting. But I don't believe that his rhetoric, although very problematic in my opinion, is causing people to act this way. I think it's a scapegoat for people to say, oh, this is why they're acting that way. But I think people, throughout history, people have acted in very problematic ways. And it's very easy to blame their situation, but it's very easy to blame the person themselves and the values that they hold, not just one president or one individual. Also, Blessing and Josh added their comments that President Trump's behavior on Twitter wasn't proving fit for a leader. I do, it's his first, his first Amendment to freedom of speech. He can do that, but I think he, my personal belief is he should tone it down a bit, not tweet every single thing he's doing, or like every single thing politic-related that he's doing. Because like, on Twitter, he's like constantly posting this. It kind of gets annoying. Yeah, so like, I just wish he could just tone it down just a bit, because... Even though I like the guy, I'm like I don't know if you guys feel about him. You may have a different idea or different opinion about him. I like the guy for his policies and whatnot, but I do wish he could tone down on the Twitter. Because we joke around, we joke like um, we as people joke a lot about how you have to be politically correct, but in all actuality, in politics, it's probably important to be politically correct because politics is a kind of a sketchy game. <laughs> You have to like you have to make friends and you also make enemies at the same time. And if you're just saying whatever comes into your mind or just like publicly announcing it like that, then that can very seriously hurt you. And it kind of hurts us as a people because yeah, we as Americans, we're just like, "Oh, he does he's not he doesn't represent me, but he really does." Cuz the other countries in the world, they don't see everyday men and women like us. They see the president. And when the president says uh, something outrageous, or when the president says something that we see as funny, but actually is, should be more serious tone, and that reflects badly on us as a country. So I feel like he definitely should have a more of a filter. There's more from the talks I had with all six of them that I wish I had time to include. But overall, I found that all were displeased with President Trump's behavior or language to some extent. Some offered opposing and some supportive political viewpoints. But overall, better expectations for civility. But finally, there was something that even made me think, or should I say rethink, all of this. And it comes from one last teacher that I'll include here. I'm uh, Michael Gordon. I'm a social studies teacher at Munster High School. I teach a series of government classes, predominantly American government and AP American government. This is Michael Gordon, who was my former U.S. government teacher at Munster High School. Midway through our conversation... That's when Mr. Gordon pointed out something that really made me look at all of this another way. Yeah, no, no, I I think I kind of understand where you're headed. But let me see if I can kind of redirect it. I would argue that nations get the governments they deserve. America gets the government it deserves. I remember that line from when he was my teacher. 
I had a hunch where he might be going with this. It's as true now as is what it was said two centuries ago. Uh, and so I think we have to stop blaming Donald Trump and start looking at him as the result of who it is that we're becoming. I think we have to recognize that we are at a very divisive time. And the reasons aren't that hard to imagine. Uh, Katie Turner, book Unbelievable, um, writes that we ended a recession without fixing equality of opportunity. People in both the manufacturing sector and in the retail sector feel unbelievably threatened. There's a belief, maybe real, maybe false, that we have to be guarded about what we say. Uh, you can't bring peanut butter into the classroom any longer because too many people, you know. So there's this hypersensitivity. Uh, we have a, a change in demographics where the majority minority is beginning, and there's an inevitable backlash, a backlash that comes from that. There is a very, very real insecurity in job security and in futures. And this creates tensions in society, and it is no new experience that we look for people to blame. And so, yeah, we see that being expressed by students just like we see it expressed by the larger community. And so I don't think this is because of Donald Trump's rhetoric. I think it's because this is where America is currently at. Huh. That's interesting to think about, isn't it? If you remember from the beginning of this episode, I said I wasn't intending to consider this point about the nature of voters. But I think the point Mr. Gordon makes, and what some of the previous teachers and students have similarly said earlier in this podcast, is something that ought to be considered as well. What I want to see is people learning to listen to people that disagree with them. And I'm not sure we're getting there. But that's the silver bullet. We're finding ourselves in a place where people are more interested in being right than actually moving forward. Uh, I try to teach my students that there's a big difference between discussion and debate. Debate at its heart is pounding the other person with your voice and with your facts and your cherry-picked knowledge and whatever else it is until they submit. But discussion is when a multiplicity of people come together in order to actually figure out solutions collectively. We've got to learn how to ask questions out of genuine curiosity and to develop the disposition of wanting to hear answers. I think when we hear people arguing either for or against a Trump policy, or, or an Obama policy for that matter, there's a quick reaction to say why they're right or why they're wrong, instead of asking why they think what they think. And that's the transformation that we need to have. And I'm not at all convinced that we're moving in that direction. I think he really does bring up a good point here. That maybe this is the solution. That the hostility and defensiveness has to calm down. That the curiosity has to be strengthened to find the answers to our problems in the zeitgeist. I will say, if nothing else, the day after the election was an unbelievably unique day in teaching. Uh, but I remember sitting uh, class after class trying not just to answer questions, but to come up with questions, to start sorting through 
what this landmark election really represented. And then watching the emotional reaction of students. And some of it was euphoria for students that supported Trump and they were blown away by their success. And others was absolute fear of kids who thought for some reason they were going to get, I don't know, deported from the country. Uh, and so I think the lessons here are we actually have to listen to people that disagree with us so that we have better knowledge and we have to go out and collect better knowledge so that we feel a little bit more secure and that we have to be engaged but it's not enough to just vote you gotta vote well it's not enough just to speak up you gotta listen it's not enough just to speak loudly you have to have not just discourse but meaningful discourse and so that's the precipice we're sitting on. I don't know what comes next. Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. You can find all of our episodes at nwi.com slash digital slash audio. Byline is also on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just type in NWI Byline in the search bar and we should pop up. If you've got a media player and want to download our episodes or listen on the go, Byline is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because it actually really helps. And we like to hear from you, whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear more about. Just drop an email to kale.wilk at nwi.com. Reporting for this week's episode came from myself, Kale Wilk. We'd like to thank Doug Ross, Steve Lopez, Anthony Hofer, Jeff Swisher, Michael Gordon, Brian McMahon, Christopher Cantoni, Tom Clark, Marcella Mejia, John Zamora, Samantha Sufchek, Blessing Anyate, Josh DeYoung, and Jacob Bailey for taking time to be interviewed for this episode and its print equivalent. Speaking of that, be sure to read the print version of this story as it does contain comments from more instructors and students. A big thanks also goes to Summer Moore, the Times' digital and audience engagement editor and bylines creator. She is the check and balance for this podcast to make sure all things are in order. I'm Kale Wilk, and from the Times of Northwest Indiana, thank you for listening. See you next time.